0: This podcast is provided for educational purposes and is not intended to replace discussions with your healthcare provider. All decisions regarding your care must be made with a healthcare professional, considering the unique characteristics of your personal situation. The opinions expressed are the opinions of the individuals recorded and not the opinions of Beatrice. Individuals featured in this podcast may have participated in the past or may be current members of an advisory group for Beatrice. Welcome back to Listen Well. Did you know that globally, one in every three individuals suffers from a mental illness over the course of their life? Even though we know mental health issues are common, often we see people avoid or delay seeking treatment due to stigma, feelings of shame and disgrace that lead to concerns about being treated differently, fear of losing their jobs, and worry about facing prejudice and discrimination. On this episode, We are tackling stigma with renowned psychiatrist and current president of the World Psychiatric Association, Dr. Afzal Javed, and Ms. Anita Abubakar, president of MIASA, the Mental Illness Awareness and Support Association in Malaysia. We'll explore misconceptions about mental health, how stigma may be seen in different countries and cultures, the challenges stigma has posed to all of us, and especially to healthcare professionals during the COVID-19 pandemic. We'll also discuss how to best support yourself or your loved ones to get the right help. Together, we can reduce stigma, and it starts with awareness. So stay with us for a truly enlightening episode. It's time to listen well.
1: My name is Afzal Javed. I am a consultant psychiatrist and associated with the University of Birmingham and University of Warwick in UK, and also attached with Pakistan Psychiatric Research Center, House in Lahore.
0: Fantastic. And you do some great work in international organizations with psychiatry.
1: Yeah, I'm currently president of World Psychiatric Association. That is the International Representative Association of Psychiatrists, uh, having 145 member societies in 120 countries and representing plus 250,000 psychiatrists globally.
0: Dr. Afzal Javed, let's start with a very basic key question for this episode. How would you define and describe stigma?
1: Well, Dr. Mo, this is really an interesting question to start with, because people use the term stigma to mean (laughs) different things. If you ask Mm -hmm. people, they may be talking about prejudice, they may be talking about discrimination, They may be talking about social isolation. They may Mm. be talking about marginalization. So it really means different things to different people. But the main features or the component of this particular term is that people who are mentally ill, they suffer stigma because they are marginalized. They Mm. do not get the attention and support what they need to do and more importantly there is issues with the attitude and the behavior of the society towards them
0: so it's multi uh, multiple components of stigma at different levels
1: of course there are uh, different components and there are differences in different cultures
0: you've written widely about stigma for example one of your most recent publications which i had the pleasure of reading it was called Reducing the Stigma of Mental Health Disorders with a Focus on Low- and Middle-Income Countries. So can you tell us a bit about this publication and about why the focus was on low- and middle-income countries?
1: Well, if you look at globally, we see that around 70 to 80% of population live in low- and middle-income countries. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to health and social sectors, unfortunately, they do not enjoy a lot what the developed countries or the upper developed countries are enjoying. So, when it comes to mental health in particular, number one, mental health is not given a priority within the health and social sectors. There are issues with the capacity building. I mean, mm-hmm. just to give you an example, there are so many countries in the world where there is only one psychiatrist available for more than 1 million population. Wow. And then the other issue is that uh, there is a consensus now that mental health problems constitute around 25 to 30% of population disability or burden. Hmm. And when it comes to the low and middle income countries, unfortunately, the impact becomes even much more. So that was the background that being the president of World Psychiatric Association, my main emphasis was to explore that how this particular term stigma or the concept of stigma is affecting the care as well as the delivery of mental health services in low and middle income countries. And this information was about not only knowledge in those countries, but also about the attitude.
0: Hmm. So
1: knowledge and attitude was actually leading to a number of issues which were at the end affecting not only the person with mental health problems, but also their family, their caregivers, as well as the society members who were living around him. And then we also found another interesting aspect mm-hmm. that the healthcare professional do have a stigma about mental illnesses.
0: Within the healthcare community.
1: Yeah, this was very interesting that whereas the mentally ill were suffering problems not only from their caregivers, families or society, they were also finding a number of barriers when it comes to the recognition and awareness by the healthcare professionals.
0: So, when we talk about this burden of stigma in low and middle income countries, it sounds like what you're saying is it's not just social economic status that there's other factors in these countries that leads to a higher burden of stigma.
1: Well, of course, I mean these are a number of reasons which one can speculate that why stigma or stigma-related concepts are more prevalent in those countries. But before Mm -hmm. I talk about that, if we just look at that, what happens when there is a stigma? This leads to the difficulties in perceiving the health needs of the mentally ill. This leads to delayed Mm help-seeking, reduced access to services, And even if they get services, there is a suboptimal treatment and all these things lead to poor outcome and increased risk of reduced quality of life and the human rights. I always give one example that whenever you talk about mental health, people always think about a mental illness, Mm -hmm. whereas there is a mental well-being, there is a mental positive health. So, mm-hmm. this perception of mental health is one of the major factors that lead to these difficulties. And then, following that, poor allocation of budgets, less exposure of healthcare professionals about mental health issues, difficulties in finding places where people can get culturally appropriate treatment. Because mental health is mainly influenced by a number of cultural factors.
0: Dr. Javed is making a really interesting point here about how we tend to think about mental health. With mental health, we often default to thinking about issues or illness. But mental well-being is an equal part of the mental health equation and should be included more in the conversation. Now, your answer touched on a number of topics that I want to follow up on, but key among them, you mentioned human rights. Is there a link between stigma, which by nature seems to marginalize people, and prejudice, discrimination? What have you experienced or researched on this?
1: I mean, if you look at the current thinking, especially going for this uh, United Nations Convention on Patients with Disabilities, mental health problems or mental illnesses are considered as disabilities, Mm -hmm. and disabilities in general are where the human rights are not practiced or if practiced not to the extent and at many times it is exploited. Hmm. So looking from that perspective, the quality of care, the quality of service and the quality of handling of these patients, everything actually leads to the poor health standards as well as the mayors related to the human rights.
0: Okay. You also mentioned self-stigma. What does that mean and how does that differ across cultures or religions?
1: Well, stigma, you should really conceptualize from a negative societal response to people with mental illness. Mm -hmm. So when you are worried that if you will speak to a doctor, to a healthcare professional, to a friend, or a family member that, look, I'm suffering from mental illness. There is always a fear that the person will immediately be rejected. Hmm. And this really leads to hiding up and delaying the help seeking in many people who suffer from mental health problems. Let's just take an example. There is an illness, what we call obsessive compulsive disorder.
0: And allow me just quickly to define obsessive-compulsive disorder, or OCD, as a condition in which people have recurring, unwanted thoughts, ideas, or sensations that make them feel driven to do something repetitively, which can significantly interfere with their daily activities and social interactions.
1: Now we have got evidence that it takes almost, almost 8 to 10 years for many patients coming to the attention of the healthcare professionals
0: eight to 10 years before they seek care
1: they are fearful they are scared because when they will talk about their problems people will simply say oh forget it this is in your mind mm. or are you are you are you crazy that you are thinking about this another cultural aspect which we have found especially in many low income countries where somatization or Presentation with physical health problem is more prevalent even to explain the underlying psychological problems, anxiety or depression.
0: Hold on, jargon alert. Somatization is the expression of psychological or emotional issues as physical symptoms without a medical basis, like stress leading to back pain or fatigue.
1: Just imagine that a man who suffers from depression, if he says to his family, look, I'm feeling depressed, what will be the response as compared if he says, look, I'm having pain in my chest. Mm-hmm. Immediately the, scene, the scenario changes. Yeah. So there are a number of socio-cultural aspects that actually hinder this process. Mm.
0: So Healthcare providers, it seems, should be on the front line of battling stigma. What you mentioned earlier, it takes seven to eight years for someone with OCD, with obsessive compulsive, to even present to care. Have you seen or have you found in research that healthcare providers could be accidentally increasing or perpetuating stigma?
1: Well, of course, when you are not acknowledging, when you are not listening to the patient, or when you are just dismissing, what patient is saying that will directly or indirectly lead to increase not only the stigma but also the marginalisation. Hmm. If a patient talks to the primary care physician about a mental health problem, he or she will most of the time say, "Oh no, no, no! This is mental health problem. Go and talk hmm. to the mental health people." So this right. is this is very important that number one we do not acknowledge. Number two we do not encourage our patients to talk about their mental health. And number three, we do not give them reassurance that mental health is equally important and physical health, as we know that yeah. no health without mental health.
2: Hello, I'm Dr. Lobna Salem, I'm the Head of Medical Affairs, developed Markets, Japan, Australia, and New Zealand for Viatris. While we are talking about stigma and mental health, I'm really pleased to have the chance to tell you about how Viatris is helping reduce the effect of stigma, which often prevents folks from seeking help. We do this by providing free educational support for healthcare professionals and by speaking up about mental health on this podcast to normalize these important conversations. Recently, Viatra sponsored a virtual event called the Pandemic's Toll on Mental Health, where global experts talked about how mental health clinicians have responded to COVID-19 and how mental health systems should be strengthened to serve people better, even beyond the pandemic. Another priority for us was working with Dr. Afzal Javid, today's expert guest with a review paper investigating how to reduce the stigma of mental health. This work was published in the Asian Journal of Psychiatry earlier this year, and you've heard Dr. Javid discuss the findings today. Namely, how mental health stigma takes shape in different cultural, socioeconomic, and religious settings. Ultimately, the journal article encourages help-seeking behaviors and offers strategies to reduce stigma. We hope you'll find this episode about stigma and mental health useful. Our team at Viatris is so proud to support Dr. Mo on this podcast, as it helps us encourage important conversations about a wide variety of health topics. Our mission is to empower people worldwide to live healthier at every stage of life. Thanks for listening.
0: Being in the World Psychiatric Association, you have a unique global view on what's been going on. And of course, the last two years, the COVID-19 pandemic has touched every part of our lives. Has this pandemic also caused new challenges related to stigma?
1: Well, I would I, I would like to answer these questions in a different way. Mm. COVID has got, uh, created a triple challenge for mental health. Number one. There is a general increase of anxiety, fear, depression, social isolation, and uh, trauma like symptoms amongst the general population. Mm-hmm. The second challenge is that there has been an increase in the mental health problems of those patients who were already suffering from mental illnesses. And the third challenge, which is even more complex, that while During the COVID, everyone was talking about shelter, about physical well-being, about physical health. People Mm -hmm. simply forgot the mental health. In many countries, people with mental illnesses were not receiving the treatment. They were not able to see the mental health professionals. The end result was that mental health problems increased. And then... with reference to the stigma, if you combine the fear of COVID and combine the aspects of mental health, this really becomes double stigma. So what do you think the solution
0: to that is? Uh, In in the post-COVID world, so many things are changing. Do we need to be talking openly about stigma? Are there other things we can do as a society to decrease stigma or end it, hopefully once and for all?
1: So I think... One aspect is that we should actually try to encourage social inclusion, but with clear uh, sort of restrictions or limitations, number one. And number two, we should try to encourage people to speak about their fears, to speak about their worries about COVID. Mm -hmm. It could not be 100% physical. There are so many issues related to mental health, and there has been a number of studies that is coming up that children and young adolescents are actually facing a number of issues through this COVID restrictions. Hmm. They are having less social interaction, not going to schools, Hmm. just clicking to their computers, spending more times online, and that personal social interaction is almost, almost gone.
0: It has such a huge impact on young people. And I wonder what's going to be the impact down the road many years from now. You touched on loneliness, and it's been said that we're going through a loneliness pandemic. And I really hope to talk about that in future episodes. If you can leave our listeners with some final messages, some final thoughts about stigma, some takeaways...
1: Thank you, Dr. Mo. I think the most important take home message is that stigma is prevalent and affects people with mental health problems in a different way. And this difference depends on patients' culture, education, religion, and geographical location. Mm. And more importantly, stigma can be managed. If we have got reasonable exposure about knowledge and attitude to the healthcare professionals and also to encourage society for social inclusion of mentally ill.
0: It's a pleasure to have Miss Anita Abubakar also on the program. Anita, can you tell us about yourself and the work you do?
3: Sure. I'm the president and founder of MIASA, the Mental Illness Awareness and Support Association. We are a mental health advocacy and peer support group based in one of the main cities in Malaysia. So what MIASA does is the majority of us are people with lived experience and the balance are people of various backgrounds, very much passionate for the cause of mental health, advocating it. What we do is create awareness on the importance of mental health,
0: Anita, if I can start with a key question for you, what drew you to working in the field of mental health in the first place?
3: To be honest, Dr. Mo, I I really didn't know that, that I, I was coming into the field of mental health. It wasn't that obvious. You know, I had, you know, I was struggling with my condition. I was going through my uh, journey to recovery and I had an idea on how to go through the recovery process. I mean, through my own experience, it might work for other people. And I wanted to share that across. So that was how I came into the space. Certainly, I, I didn't know what I was getting myself into in the beginning. I don't mean in a, in a bad way because it's a whole different world altogether. The challenges are insurmountable and sometimes unimaginable to I think we know this when we talk about stigma, it leads to discrimination, there's isolation, exclusion. There's many layers when, it, when you talk about stigma in the whole mental health space for uh, mental health peers or people with psychosocial disability. When I was diagnosed eight years ago, initially what I hoped was people that were struggling were able to come to Miasa. They, you know, felt empowered in their recovery. They felt they could feel a sense of hope, a way out, because that's usually how we feel in the beginning when we, you know, are afflicted with the condition, right? With a mental illness mm. or with a mental health disorder, you don't see a way out. You feel trapped. You feel hopeless in your recovery. Um, you feel mm. that your condition is unique, especially when you lack the knowledge or you don't know of anyone else who has the condition, and so you feel very um, alone. Mm. You know, you you hope for a way out, but you don't see it. So that. That was my intention when I first came uh, into the mental health space. And then as I went along and I understood it and then I understood the gaps. And now what we're trying to do very much is filling up the gaps, uh, continue to fight stigma and discrimination.
0: Yeah. Uh, when when you first started talking about mental illness, was it hard? Were there challenges? Can you tell us about some of the things you faced?
3: Oh, yeah. It was It was extremely challenging, um, because there was a lot of resistance in the beginning. So, um, you know, we're we're not being peers, being a person with with a condition, with a disorder, when there's stigma, then there's a lot of um, negative perception or negative connotations, right? When you talk about mental health disorders, so you're not seen as equal, so that was very challenging in the beginning, and uh, what people don't realize is, for you to disclose that you have a mental health condition takes a lot of courage. You know, being vulnerable takes a lot of courage. What more, disclosing that you have a mental health disorder, which is one of the most highly stigmatized mental, um, you know, health conditions ever uh, in mm-hmm. human history, so it wasn't easy at all, but. After a lot of practice and, you know, I'm an extrovert and then when I Mm -hmm. started building the team and today we have, you know, a a thousand plus volunteers in Miyasa and we've got, you know, three, four thousand people with us. So when, when you're, you know, when there's a lot of us, it makes you stronger in that sense and you feel more empowered, you find hope, there's strength in, you know, the camaraderie, you know, being together. So that really helps. But yeah, it was very difficult in the beginning, to be honest.
0: Well, you mentioned your organization, MIASA. Can you tell us uh, about it? What does MIASA stand for? What type of work uh, are you doing?
3: Right. Uh, MIASA is a mental health advocacy and peer support group. Um, So uh, we're actually the first one in Malaysia, although I didn't know that when I first started, uh, when Mm -hmm. I gave birth to it in that sense. So what we do as much as possible is, um, obviously, one, uh, we provide awareness as much as possible. And I think one of the silver linings, you know, when this pandemic hit happened was, now we're able to reach more people, right? Because one, we're able to normalize this this, this discussion. So we're able to take away the shame uh, from it, you know, the fear from it. A lot of people uh, are more encouraged to um, seek for the help and we're able to use technology. So via social media, be it Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, mm-hmm. our website, we're able to reach more people. So that's a really good thing. So we're able to do that a lot now instead of doing physical sessions like what we used to do. We have migrated all our services out to Mo virtually. Mm-hmm. everything that you can think of in miyasa we provide non-medical alternatives as much as possible because we focus on the whole life approach right we although we do provide mental health assessment we do you know therapeutic assessment we've got therapy we have counseling as well just so that we have the whole solution but as much as possible we focus on peer support family support art therapy expressive dance therapy um, supported employment we encourage people to come and volunteer. So. Contact-based education is one of the big things that we do as well because Mm -hmm. stigma is so widespread. So we (laughs) encourage people to volunteer as much as possible so that we're able to reduce stigma as a whole. We very much champion the recovery model and also human rights-based approach. So that's uh, a lot of the things that we talk about.
0: Is that part of what MIASA does to kind of guide an individual who's new to this world and, and feeling lost and alone?
3: Yes, yeah, that's what we do We try to navigate it for them You know, guide and help and assist And we, because see, it's different for us, Dr. Mo Because when you're a peer group, there's no judgment You know, a person comes in, they don't go home empty-handed They come Mm -hmm. in, it's a safe space You know, they get to speak to us You know, a a lot of times people ask us all the time You know, is it difficult to get someone to, you know, talk about their issues It isn't for us Because when they come in, they know that there's no judgment In contrary, there's a lot of empathy and compassion and kindness and they and we can relate they can relate to us we understand what they're going through so there's a lot of understanding and what we do is we discuss on the options on the you know the different alternatives you know because at any point of time it must be an informed decision it must be informed consent so we help to support the decision that is made by the peers that come in to seek for help and support definitely
0: so anita i think you're uniquely positioned because you've suffered yourself you've uh, spoken out You've um, worked in advocacy and leadership in this space. So I'm really interested on your take on what are the commonest misconceptions or myths that you've seen about mental health, whether in your community or worldwide?
3: Okay. Um, I think the, the most obvious one is a person with a mental health condition can't recover. Um, I think this is the biggest misconception ever that people talk about a lot, not just the, the public, Dr. Mo, even amongst mental health professionals themselves. And of course, what is being portrayed by the media, I think, is a huge contributing factor, because if you look at movies, films, dramas, music, videos, songs, uh, we're looking at inaccurate portrayals of people with mental health disorders. We're looking at Mm. reporting of, you know, for example, in the news of people that have mental health conditions usually ends with a tragedy.
1: You know, uh, and there's a
3: yeah, or violence. So people, the the other misconception would be a person with a mental health condition is violent, they're dangerous, mm. right? They're crazy, mad, etc. Although we've moved, I think we've progressed much right now uh, in Malaysia as well due to the whole pandemic, because even. Mm. The normal people now um, are struggling, right? So they right. get a glimpse of what a mental health challenge is. Uh, but I think that those are the two greatest uh, misconceptions that I've seen uh, till today. And I think it's it's so unfortunate because if you look at the recovery model, uh, I mean, the first thing you know it says, you know, anyone that has a mental health condition can recover, you know, despite how chronic or how severe it might be. But the the only problem and issue here is because. We wait till the very end and then we seek help either because we lack the knowledge or the people around us, be be it family or friends, you know, don't don't help and assist or they become dismissive, you know, and then we don't we don't get the help that we need. So, I think it's so important for people to really seek knowledge on mental health, understand early warning signs so that we can help and provide the intervention early before it becomes chronic, right? Or severe, and people battle, you know, suicidal thoughts, intense uh, suicidal ideation, contemplate suicide, et cetera, when everything is preventable and you can actually recover from it. I mean, your prognosis will be better if you get the help earlier. Um, So I think knowledge is transformative, and this is what needs to happen.
0: Absolutely, knowledge, education. You mentioned two positive silver linings to the pandemic. One was that people who never suffered mental illness before suffered loneliness or isolation and, and could maybe have more empathy. And the second was that your services Uh, expanded digitally, and you reached even more people. Uh, Can can you tell us about some of these resources and where the audience can look for them?
3: So when the pandemic first started, we weren't allowed to operate because we weren't considered, you know, part of essential services, right? We do spiritual therapy, peer supports, um, circle time, everything was done online. And then we realized that we are able to reach more people because every program that we do, we can hit, you know, 50,000, 100,000, so telehealth has helped so much. So we have, we're have, we now able to break that barrier to access as well because now even the people in the rural areas are able to access these services. And one of the things that we've done, um, Dr. Mo and everyone, in breaking that barrier as well for you know, the people in the rural areas or the homeless is we are currently providing all our services, the essential services at no cost. So what we've done is, you know, the rich pays, you know, the middle income earners pays, but those that are not able to pay, then we provide it for free. Um, Mm -hmm. So that way more people are able to access the help. So this is, it's been fantastic. Um, I can share with you really quickly last year, uh, from August till August 2nd this year, about 100,000 people reached out to Miasa for help. And that's a huge number for our population. And uh, it's all You know, uh, thanks to COVID, I guess, had to happen this way for the whole conversation to come 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 out, I guess. Yep.
0: So so let me end with if someone listening wants to look up the services you provide, maybe they want to emulate or do something similar in their country, where would they go looking for these resources?
3: they can go to our website so we're all over social media as well so you can just go to miasa.malaysia m-i-a-s-a.malaysia or our website which is miasa.org.my and all the information is there so yeah so feel free to reach out
0: so anita could you leave our audience with some key take-home messages maybe things they could apply or think about moving forward
3: So I would like to end it with a couple of things, uh, Dr. Mo. First and foremost, for everyone that's struggling out there, please know that you're not alone. Please reach out. There are people and places that can help. And if you're ready, please do share your story across. Because I always say this, you know, we don't know whose story will provide that key to unlock a person's struggle. So it may help save a life, really trust yourself in the process. And for those of you that are caring for a person that is going through a mental health disorder, please seek knowledge. Don't be quick to judge, have empathy and uh, compassion. This is very important. Your role is huge. You know, for me, I can tell you that without my... Caregivers, which was my husband, uh, my mom, and my kids, I wouldn't be here today speaking to all of you because when you're in that space, you know, it's very difficult to see a way out. And so you need someone to help you go through it. So, what I want to leave you with is there is always hope. Thank you.
0: We hope this conversation has shed some light on what stigma means for those experiencing mental health challenges. Hopefully, It has empowered you to play an active role to help overcome stigma, either for yourself, for a loved one, or even more broadly in society. No matter who you are, where you live, or where you come from, you are not alone. There are programs and organizations that can help you. Talking to your doctor, your family, or your friends should be an act that helps to make you feel stronger. In the post-COVID-19 era, after we've all experienced extra strain, on our mental health it's even more important to check in with yourself and the people around you and ask are you okay? no matter the issue it's ultimately up to you to be your own best health advocate and remember when in doubt reach out I'd like to give a huge thanks to Dr. Afzal Javed and Anita Abubakar for their fantastic insights and expertise on this topic I'm Dr. Mo el swedan thanks for listening and we hope you'll tune in again next time. If you're looking for more information or resources about the topics covered in this or other episodes, you can visit www.listenwellpodcast.com. I'm Dr. Moel Swedan. Thanks for listening. Brought to you by Vietress. Empowering people worldwide to live healthier at every stage of life.
1: Powered by Beatrice.